If you are a guest, we are thankful that you're here. It encourages us that you're here. If you want to be opening to 1 Timothy, the first chapter, in just a moment, uh, we will review from there, throughout some passages kind of quickly to catch up where we ended off uh, this morning. We do want to remind you that if you are participating in the Operation Turkey tonight would be a great time to get in those letters and the pictures and the funds. And again, we appreciate each one that's taking part in that. Also, uh, just the way the calendar falls and, and where we are right now in the calendar, a lot of us will not be together consistently for the next couple of weeks. Some of you will be traveling next week and others the next week. Be sure and be careful. Be sure and be faithful. And this time that you'll probably spend extra time with, with family and those that you love, I want to encourage you to, to value that time and to see that time as an opportunity to serve and to truly uh, be unselfish and go the second mile and make sure that, that we are to our families what God would want us to be to our families. It's a wonderful blessing that sometime uh, and too often times we might take for granted and not see the opportunity that we have to practice and display our Christianity even to those that we love the most. Also, uh, just after that, we'll be in a new year. And I want to encourage you uh, to be prayerful about the plans that are being made. Uh, the deacons are thinking about uh, their year. Uh, a lot of dates have been scheduled. A lot of plans have been made. A lot of things have been budgeted for. Uh, just a lot of goals uh, are, are being set. And we hope that, that next year, everything that we do brings glory to God. We hope that it makes an eternal difference, not only in our lives, but other people's lives that we have not even met yet, but that we hope we'll spend an eternity with. And, and I really beg you to be very prayerful that as we move toward the new year, if the Lord offers us that new year to live, that we truly as individuals and a church family will be everything that God wants us to be at that time. We've been thinking about forgiveness. And today we've been looking at the very aspect that God offers forgiveness to us. It isn't cheap. It come at a high price. And it's also not random. It's not that we just reach out in, in some kind of casual moment and just say that I believe that there's a God and, and I'm saved and everything is all right. There are some very, very specific things about forgiven people. There's a very specific doctrine that forgiven people follow. And that doctrine stamps out forgiven people so that that life is very unique to those who are forgiven. And so tonight, let's, let's quickly review and then pick up. When we think about the, one of the early persecutors of the church was Saul, and we think about the horrific persecution that he did to the church, he had part in slaying God's children. Could he be forgiven? Not only does he say that he can be forgiven, but when we look in 1 Timothy, we read this morning in the first chapter, verses 12, 13, 14, 15, but I'd like for us now just to mention verse 16. Notice again, this is what he said. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And so Paul makes it very clear. I am an example. I am a pattern of God's long suffering. 
If God can forgive me, what you're seeing is a pattern that that's who God is. God is a forgiving God. So if God is in the business of forgiving, then we say, well, what is it that he expects of us? It is a gift that is freely offered and offered to everyone, but not everyone accepts this gift. And so what is this pattern? Drop back, if you will, to Romans, the sixth chapter. We're going to read verse 17 by way of review, and then we're going to slow down and, and pick up with some uh, newer studies tonight. But look at Romans, the sixth chapter in verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, when we look at this, we see a very clear teaching that they were at one time slaves in sin. But we also see now that they have been delivered from this and they have found a freedom in Christ that now they are servants of righteousness. And what took place in that meantime was a submissive life, a submissive heart, a submissive spirit that said, I will obey from the heart. We see that it is very genuine. It is who we are. We're not talking about, can you act like you obey and convince everybody around you that you are obeying? Have you obeyed from the heart? And what is it? It's that die cut. It's that form. It is what shapes us. And notice there, we brought out, and, and I failed to mention this first service, at the end of, of verse 17 there, notice he says that this is, that I'm delivering you to the doctrine. Usually we would think that that would be worded that I'm going to deliver the doctrine to you. And there's other passages. As a matter of fact, in just a few minutes, we'll read another passage where he talks about, I brought the gospel to you. And so I'm not saying that, that it has to be one or the other. I'm simply bringing up for consideration. Why does he choose to word it this way? Why is he saying, I'm bringing you to this doctrine that, that is like a stamp, that's like a, a die cut? It's probably the language, the idea of it's set. And the question is, am I going to come to it? That's a part of that humility that is obedient. I will come to the Lord and I will obey the Lord. And, and so it, it, it's powerful to think about what does a life look like that has been redeemed by the doctrine that has been delivered of Jesus Christ. Well, what is the doctrine of Jesus Christ? Let's back up to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and let's see the pattern. He, he clearly says there was a pattern, there was a die cut, there was a doctrine that was the same. He preached it over and over and over. And so let's see, what is at the heart of it? Or our Greek word would be, what is the kerygma of it? What is, what is at the very core of the doctrine that is taught that we so oftentimes simply call gospel? But don't take that beautiful word for granted. That beautiful word that means good news is very specific good news when we look in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Let's look at verse 1, 2, 3, and 4 here. Moreover, brethren, Paul writing to the people at Corinth, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. Now pause there. Isn't it amazing how many times today we have read about the gospel saving? Now please don't misunderstand. I am not trying to take Jesus, the savior out of the picture. 
I just think that it's important for us to see that what the scriptures teaches over and over is that it is the gospel, the written word that leads us to the Savior. The, the, the doctrine is what leads us to the Savior. If I'm going to rebel against the doctrine, I can never find the Savior. And so he says, remember, I came in and I preached the gospel to you and you were saved because I preached this gospel. Okay, what is the gospel that saves? Let's read on. He also talked about it, the rest of verse two, but which you also say, if you hold fast, there has to be that faithfulness. The hold fast is literally the idea of closing a fist around and not letting go. So if you hold fast, that word, that, that's, that word is the gospel, which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, and here's what he delivered. This is the gospel. First of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to what? The scriptures. I preach to you from the scriptures. What's the first part of the gospel? Christ died for our sins. That means we are sinners. Christ is, is, is glorified. He is God and he came to this earth and he died for us. And so it's that faithful saying that we studied this morning. Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, number two, and he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Friends, what is the very core of the gospel? Jesus Christ is the core of the gospel. The, the life, the fact that he came to this earth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And he says, when it's preached, it ought to be preached from the scriptures. That is the core of the gospel. Now let's take this pattern and let's drop back again, if you will. And let's go to Acts, the 18th chapter. And in Acts, the 18th chapter, we get to go back in history you remember, we just read what Paul said to the people at Corinth. And he said, remember that when I first came to you, this is what I preached. So let's go back and let's read in Luke's account in the book of Acts, when he first went into Corinth, what did he do and what did they do? So let's read this. Look in 18th chapter, verse one, just so for the setting here. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and he went to Corinth. Okay, so we know that Paul is in Corinth. And, and by the way, and I'm not trying to treat you elementary, but... If you're like me, I'm about to burn up right now. And so I just want to make sure you're awake. And, and so, so now think about it. We just left 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And he said, hey, when I was with you right now, or when I first came with you, when I first came to you, I, I preached to you the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And so, so now we're going to go back and we're going to see when he first went. What did they do? Look at verse 8. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household. Now notice this last part in verse 8. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Wait a minute. I thought what Paul did when he went there was he just preached Jesus. What do people that obey from the heart, the form of doctrine that teaches the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, what do they do? They heard what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. They believed what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, that he is Lord. And what was the result? They were baptized. And in that, they were saved. We're not going to take the time right now, although it's a wonderful exercise and we could do it in about 10 minutes time, but you also can do it on your own. 
you start fanning the pages of the book of Acts and you look every time that the scripture says that Jesus was preached. And if you'll read on just a few verses, you'll read about someone being baptized. When we preach the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, people that obey from the heart are baptized. And so now, let's think about this. What does that remind you of? Now, I know this isn't a Bible class, so I don't expect you to answer out loud, but if it was a Bible class, I'd give you just a few minutes, I'd pause, and one of you would speak up and say, that reminds me of Mark's account of the Great Commission. Notice on the next screen here, we have the very same verse that we just read in Acts, the 18th chapter, verse 8 up above it, and notice the Great Commission there in Mark 16, 15 and 16 there. Notice it says, and I'm going to read the Great Commission. He said to them, Jesus saying to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, what was the gospel? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus? To every creature, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, what was preached in Corinth? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And what did he say in 1 Corinthians 15th chapter? He says, you heard that and you were saved. We go back to Acts the 18th chapter. What did they do? They heard, what did they hear? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. They believed, what did they believe? They believed that Jesus was the son of God, that he died for their sins and that he's resurrected and that he can give life to those who want to be saved. And so what did they do? They were baptized and if they're baptized, that is the point in time that they will be saved. Baptism is not an act that is isolated away from the Lord. In some way, there's power or magic in the water, and it is that act or that work that saves. It's not that at all. It's us obeying from the heart what the one who has the power to give the gift, the gift of salvation, what does he ask us to do? He asks us to be baptized, and that is the point in time that the great forgiver will forgive us of our sins. So let's go back now and let's look at Romans, the sixth chapter. In Romans, the sixth chapter, let's read verse three, four, five, and six. And you remember earlier tonight and earlier this morning, we read Romans, the sixth chapter, verse 17. That was the passage where we obey from the heart, that form of doctrine. Now notice here in Romans 6 and 3, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus? That's an important phrase. How do we get into Christ? At what point in time do we leave the world and we get into Christ? It's in baptism that is that point in time that we leave the world and we come into Christ. And so he says, we've been baptized into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. See, we're not dead anymore spiritually, now we're alive, and so we can walk because we're alive and we've chosen a new life because we're not living out in the world, we're living in Christ. Verse five, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. 
There are so many approaches that we could take to dissect these verses, to learn so much. But if you're looking at the screen, I'd like for you to notice that we chose three colors other than the white font that is there. If you will notice there, notice the yellow colors. Notice what is in yellow. This passage is about a burial. It is about a resurrection. And of course, before the burial, we have a crucifixion. But notice also that we read in this about the blue letters here. We read about baptism. We read about newness of life. And we read about an old man that is going to be put to death. All right, now let's, let's look for just a moment at the red letters. Notice that whatever it is about this crucifixion and about this burial and about this resurrection, whatever it is that we're supposed to do, we do it with him. Did you notice these phrases? Look, look at the red letters there. With him, talking about being buried. And notice in five, we have been united together. That means we are with the Lord in this, talking about in his death. And then also notice the rest of verse five. We also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And then notice again in six where he talks about crucified. Again, he says with him. And there's other phrases within these verses here that we could have highlighted, but just trying to keep it simple. When you look at this next slide, you see what was taught in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter that is called the gospel. The gospel is about the death of Jesus Christ. It is about the fact that he really was dead and he was buried and that he really lived or existed in the realm of the dead for three days and that he truly was resurrected by the power of God. He was brought back to life. God has power over death. That gospel is important to understand what it is that the Lord asks of us. Because on this next slide, we see the teachings of Romans 6, 3, 4, 5, and 6 that you and I just have read with the various colors of fonts there. You see, in these verses, in verse 6, we read about a crucifixion. And what we are to do is crucify the old man of sin. Usually in the scriptures, that is called repentance. That's where we say that we are going to put to death that old life and we're going to live a new life in Jesus Christ. And that takes a change and repentance is our part. Do not confuse repentance with forgiveness. Repentance is what we must do. We must say, I'm gonna make this change. It's interesting, the song we just sung a few minutes ago out of Galatians 2, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You see, before we crucify ourselves, we live our own sinful life. And it's not Christ living in us, that die cut. We're not shaped by Christ. We're shaping our own life. Satan is shaping our life and we are dead spiritually. And so we have to decide, are we gonna repent? Are we gonna repent? And are we gonna come to the Lord saying, I wanna come to you and I wanna leave the world. Now, even if we do that, we're still carrying the guilt of our past sins. And so that's where we then take the one who is dead and what do we do with the dead? We bury them. Christ was buried. We are buried in a watery grave of baptism. We're spiritually dead because our sins have separated us from God. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. And just as Christ was resurrected from that grave, we are lifted out of that watery grave and we are alive spiritually. We entered in dead 
We are alive spiritually as we exit. Why? That is the point in time, that is the place where the Lord says, I'll forgive you. I'll take away the guilt of your sin. Do you think that's what it looked like for Saul? You know, this morning we began talking about Saul. Would, would the Lord forgive him for all that he did? Let's close tonight by looking at Saul. Drop back to Acts, the 22nd chapter, and we'll make this point and close. Acts, the 22nd chapter. <clears throat> Acts 22 and 16. Acts 22 and 16, and now, by the way, let me remind you what the setup is for this. And on the screen there, that should be Acts 9. We see a lot of the conversion story of Paul recorded in Acts 9. And you remember that the light was blinding him and he found out that he had been persecuting the Lord. And uh, he was very humbled at that moment. And he, contrary to what many would say, many would say he was saved on the Damascus Road. The scriptures never teach that. Go back and read Acts 9. Instead, he was told on the Damascus Road to go and wait in a house on a street called Straight, and that it would be told you what you must do. And so now we're about to read what Ananias said to him when Ananias arrived to him. And are you going to be surprised that Ananias told him that there's something he must do? Because after all, that's what the Lord told him. You go and someone will come and tell you what you must do. And so this is what Ananias said to him in Acts 22 and 16. And now, why are you waiting Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. On this next slide, I would like to break down for you something that if this interests you, you can study it further. But what this is, are the, these are the active participles, the imperative verbs, another imperative verb, and a middle participle that... It is important, the tense, when we say, what was Ananias literally saying to Paul? And he was telling him, and, and you see it there, and I'm not going to try to dissect that down, but now let's take this literal translation. And on this next slide, let's read the literal translation, taking the tenses that were there. This is what he said in Acts 22 and 16. Having arisen... Get yourself baptized and get your sins washed away and you will have been calling on the name of the Lord. When someone says, all you need to do to be saved is call on the name of the Lord, you know there's a lot of truth to that? A lot of truth to that. But then we say, okay, what does the scriptures teach that you need to do to call on the name of the Lord? You see, when most people say you need to call on the name of the Lord, they mean say a prayer or just look up toward the heavens and invite the Lord into your heart. That's not what calling on the name of the Lord meant in the scriptures. It meant acting by the Lord's authority. Lord, I come to you with a heart that's willing to obey. What is it that your word would stamp out for me to do? And Ananias says, Paul, I tell you, if you want to call on the name of the Lord, if you want to live your name by the Lord's authority, you need to get up right now and you need to go and be baptized right now so that your sins will be washed away as you are being baptized right now. And so baptism is a very, very important time because it is the time 
that we come in contact with the blood of the lamb that has been slain. I wanna take your mind back to last Sunday morning and let's look at this passage as we close. Revelation 1 and verse 5, that great book of Revelation, Revelation 1 and 5, and notice what is revealed to John here. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The Redeemer had to shed his blood for you and I to be cleansed. Where do we come into contact with that blood? It is in his death that we come in contact with his blood. And for us, we meet him in death in the waters of baptism. And we are washed, our sins are forgiven, and we arise alive spiritually. We went in dead spiritually. Our sins have been removed. We're no longer separated from God. We arise and we live spiritually. You to carry your own sin? or you let Jesus carry your sin. But every sin has to be carried because every sin has to be punished. That's another study if we were going to study our God being just. God must punish every sin. So he either punishes the sin we carry or we allow the Lord to carry our sin and he is punished for our sins. On this next slide, you see a picture of an exercise that RTC does. And many of you might have even done this at a retreat or at a camp. And if you haven't, it's worth doing. And it's the idea of saying, I want to take my sin and I want to make sure that I allow the Lord to carry my sin and not me. And all this exercise is, is just mental. It's something to think about. It's something for impact. It's not doctrinal by any stretch. But it's the idea of taking your sin and nailing it to the cross and saying, I give it over to the Lord. I want his forgiveness. And I'm not carrying that anymore. Tonight, if there were a literal cross that was the Lord's cross, would your sin still be hung on you? Or would your sin be hanging on the Lord's cross? You or the Lord will pay for your sin. And that's why we need a Savior. Because there's not any of us here that wants to pay for our own sin. You remember we quoted several weeks ago, Brian Zan, if Christianity is about anything, it's about forgiveness. We can't even become a Christian without being forgiven. And when we are forgiven, 
we begin all the time to look more like the one who has forgiven us. And forgiven people forgive. And we'll study that one later. Tonight, do you see how important the Savior is? Do you see how important the gospel is that points to the Savior? Do you see how important His redemption is that He asks of us? You could ask a lot of questions that the answer literally might be, I don't know why He asked that. But I can know this. If that's what my Lord has asked, I must decide if I'm going to humbly submit. Tonight, if you have not become a child of God on His terms, why not? You can't give a reason that's good if you imagine yourself standing on the day of judgment and giving that same reason. Look at the one who died on the cross for you and try to give that reason to Him as to why you wouldn't live for Him. It falls short. Nobody's loved you like Him. No gift has ever been offered like the gift of eternal life. And don't be one of those that walks away and never opens it and never lives it and never enjoys the peace and the hope and the love and the grace and the mercy that's offered. Tonight, if we can encourage you, if we can help you, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ, if you're ready to be restored, if you simply need more study and you have questions, if you need prayer, whatever we could do tonight to help you take steps closer to God, that's what we want to do. We're in this together. And the best any of us can do is leave here as forgiven people.